Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Episode 216, the expert series with triathlon Taryn. Welcome to the Pursuit of the Perfect Race. I'm Coach Terry Wilson, and with each episode, I bring stories of athletes to you that share their experiences at races in order for you to learn how to have your perfect race. We will hear stories from athletes of all ages, abilities, and races of all distances. So regardless of where you fit in, there's something in there for you. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the pursuit begin. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pursuit of the Perfect Race. Today is a little bit different. Instead of talking about a race, I'm actually talking with another podcaster from Canada, Triathlon Terran, who has his Triathlon Terran podcast. And he has more than 50 episodes of interviewing with Mark Allen, Gwen Jorgensen, and even Mike Riley. He has been in the sport for a long time and has a very well-established podcast and i look forward to talking with taryn about all the crazy stuff he's learned along the way as well so welcome to the show taryn i look forward to talking about your show man yeah definitely thanks for having me here terry you're welcome so what made you want to start the podcast that you have anyways well it's actually it's kind of a funny story so i started off with a youtube channel and we had grown the youtube channel over a number of years and i thought you know what this podcast thing there seems to be something to it but there are lots of triathlon podcasters out there. I don't really want to start a triathlon podcast, but maybe I just want to be on some other triathlon podcast, see what it's like and learn about this podcast thing. Well, got absolutely addicted, started listening to them constantly, probably listening to at least one, maybe two a day. And then when I was on these podcasts, I really enjoyed the experience of, well, A, I was spilling my guts, but then I thought on the other hand, like, when else in life would you be able to sit down next to somebody and just pepper them with questions about their life and learn about them? So I said, there are all these stories in triathlon and our YouTube channel is so based around me. A podcast is a much better place to talk about other people or I can learn about other people. So I said, I think we should start a podcast. And it was funny because I was like, ah, we don't need to start a podcast. There are lots of podcasters out there. And then we kind of just started it to see what would happen. And it quickly became one of the things that we love doing the most. Wow. So you've had some pretty big names on there, but what are some things that you've learned along the way that really sticks out to you? There's a a heck of a lot. Some of the things that, that I've learned are that every athlete is, is so individual about what does and doesn't work for them. Some are really big, volume people like Ben Hoffman. Some are more quality 
over quantity people like Laurence Delisle and almost the entire Purple Patch crew. But time in and time out, what does have a consistent theme throughout every single high-performance athlete that we talk to is that they are so driven to the point of being almost like non-functioning human in real life. Like if you were to put them in a day job, they would be either so unhappy with it because they weren't testing themselves athletically or they would get so obsessed with it that they would be the best in Sarah Piano's case, like the best investment banker out there or uh, Laura Siddle's case, the best mechanical engineer out there. Um, Sarah Crowley's case, a phenomenal M&A um, accountant and that drive and determination is something that that appears with every single athlete that we talk to. Wow. And then you have somebody like Sam Long that's on the picture coming in at 22 years old. And, I mean, we both talked with him, and I've had him on the show a few times, and you have too. And he's young, but his mentality about it is completely different. What do you think about this? I think that Sam, he still has that drive to, if if you look back at Sam's career just starting out, Races his first race at the age of 17 to challenge himself just as a rite of passage yeah, to, to become, a become, man. become a man. Most people go out and have 30 beers to become a man or have to go on their first hunting trip or something like that to become a man. He does it. He goes in and does a Ironman triathlon, does a phenomenal job at, I think, placed 12th overall, even amongst the pros. So just the concept of what they challenge themselves with is physical, it's painful, it's mentally taxing, and that's their version of of fun and fulfillment. And while a lot of us age groupers are very much like that, I think that we stop at, let's say there's 10 steps of pain or determination, we might stop at number six or seven and we're like, ooh, that's discomfort. But all of these pros just live for it, eat it up. Yeah, and you've also had some people on your show like Matt Stimmitz with the bike fitting. And what have you learned about the bike fitting process and even some of the other people about their bike fitting? I know Sam had some issues with his bike, but it was unforeseen at the Xterra. But what have you learned about the bikes and all that fun stuff? Funny thing about the bike fitting is I've gone through a couple of bike fits here locally, and it was very much the typical retool process where you have to have a physiological assessment of, your flexibility and your range of motion. Well, I went to see Matt Steinmetz, who's one of the most well-renowned bike fitters in the world, and the guy didn't go through any of that. And I asked him after, and I didn't want to talk about this on the podcast because I didn't want him slinging mud, but I said, like, why didn't you do that? He said, well, when it came right down to it, we looked at it when I was with Retool. This is Matt talking. And he said, we can do all the physiological assessments in the world, but what are we going to do with it? If somebody is not able to raise their leg above hip height, what are we going to do? Are we actually going to change their position when really what we're looking to do is get them in the most comfortable position, their range of motion standing or through a physiological assessment doesn't really make a difference because he's seen Tour de France riders that can get into the most aggressive position ever and can't put their foot up on a coffee table. So he said there is such a disconnect between your physiological assessment and how you're able to actually get into a triathlon aero position 
that it's more about adapting to the bike fit than the bike fit adapting to you. So you have to gradually build into a aerodynamic position as opposed to saying, all right, well, you've got tight hips, so we have to do this on your bike position. And it was a lot more practical. And, and I think that's why Matt is probably very good because he takes, you know, these theories and concepts and he says, well, like, in the end, we just got to put you on a bike and have you be comfortable. And whatever assessments I do doesn't matter. Right. It's more of, hey, this is real world, world practice versus your theories of how things should and shouldn't work. That's what it seems like. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So as you started your podcast, you've gotten to network a lot. What are some things that you found along the way that you didn't expect? Ooh, that, that's a tough question. There were a lot of things that kind of just come up here and there. I think back to the very first podcast I did with Mark Allen, where I had a light bulb moment where he was talking about, about meditation during exercise, not meditation from the sense of, well, you've got to breathe deeply and, and quiet all the, all the, all the noise out there. It's more about accepting the pain and the discomfort, but just accepting it's part of the process and not letting it get you down. And why it was a light for me is because I talk about how with, with the athletes that follow me and, and on YouTube, I talk about how triathlon shouldn't be this thing off to the side that you do. It should be incorporated into your lifestyle. And here I was doing meditation off to the side, but I wasn't incorporating it into my life. I wasn't incorporating it into my workouts. I wasn't taking that, that calmness and that ability to turn off the the voices of, oh, this hurts, oh, this sucks, I'm not going to do well. I wasn't able to turn that off in my races because meditation was off to the side and it wasn't part of my lifestyle. So that was an epiphany moment. And then there are lots of lots of tips that are things as simple as last week we talked to a strength and conditioning coach who plays a big role in his athlete's mental preparation. His name is Sly Walters. And he talked about, well, you've got to have a calendar and check mark every single day that you accomplish something good. And I was like, yeah, yeah, about as basic as it gets, Sly. And he said, but that accomplish something good needs to be relative to where you are in your triathlon journey. So a complete beginner, the check mark might be, I exercised today or I didn't eat, I, I, I had less than five Cokes today. Whereas somebody who is looking to become a top age grouper, it might be, I push through more pain than I ever have today. And that is your check mark every single day. So it's the what determines what gets a check mark that really surprised me. I was like, you took a really simple thing, but made it unique and, and you made it more special than just a calendar. So there's lots of things like that that when you're, I'm sure you know, as you talk to these elite performers, there are so, so many small things that they do that they take these a lot of these basic concepts and apply them in such amazing ways that allow them to be top performers. Right. So do you use this calendar right now? Uh, that podcast was about five days ago. But what I'm starting to do just as a mental test is have some workouts that more or less scare me and set an intention for the workout and and make that intention something that is quite challenging and and have that as my goal as opposed to just writing out a workout and saying well I just got to get through this so 
I've been playing around with it the last few days, and uh, the very first workout I did after that was Sly. I was very scared of the the bike trainer session, and I got through it. My legs were pretty wobbly after, but it was a really good way to get through it. Wow. So overall, you've been doing this. You probably have at least over 100 hours of content. I mean, just going through your website, I'm sure you have over that. What are some of the key points that you've learned that you would want to share with other people that might not know anything about your podcast? Well, my podcast is largely about other people's stories. And I think the the things to share about that podcast are that uh, I think everyone has a really unique and inspiring story in their own right. And, and triathlon is just a phenomenal sport that everyone should try regardless of your weight or age or or anything like that. It's completely life-changing and you can't play hockey at a high level when you're 60 years old. You can't play football at a high level when you're 60 years old or baseball or soccer, but you can be a triathlete at a pretty high level when you're 60 and, and experiences and travel opportunities. So that, that's what I would say is the great thing about the podcast. Uh, We can talk about the training aspect of it if you want which is more along the lines of what we talk about on youtube but like the bottom line of triathlon is that it's one of the best sports out there because when else do adults get to have that feeling of adrenaline and excitement in our lives like rarely do people even get excited about a, a slow pitch baseball game or a little fun fun game hockey up here in Canada the same way that you can when you get up to a start line and you're waiting in those last few seconds before the gun goes off in a triathlon and it makes you feel alive. Right. Opening that black box is just nerve wracking, putting so much (laughs) time, effort and commitment into that one little moment of what am I going to get today? How am I going to do things today? Because I mean, if, you're listening to this. You obviously know that I interview a lot of people from the same races, but that's one of the things that I love doing is showing that even though it's the same race on the same day in the same temperature, same conditions, everybody experiences the same race differently. And it's really remarkable. I mean, I think Lake Placid, I had nine athletes that I interviewed for that pros all the way down to a DNF. Like I got to see all the spectrum for it. And then for our man, Louisville, I interviewed, a pro that finished second overall, Sam, and then also interviewed a pro that DNF and age groupers that were above the 12 hour mark. So everybody tackled this day a little bit different. I don't know if you were aware of this year's day at Louisville, but it was bad. It was terrible. It was like 48 degrees and raining the whole day. Oh yeah. It was just an awful day. Lisa Roberts was racing in dishwashing gloves. (laughs) Yes. And that's the thing. Like, tips like the dishwashing gloves in rain and cold people don't know about but then they think of it after that like yeah dishwashing gloves cheap number one they're gonna block wind and keep the water out got it why do i need these expensive gloves yeah it doesn't matter so as far as how people that you've interviewed integrate their life with their training and their work life how do they do this I think everyone does it differently. A lot of the people that I have have interviewed have been a either full time pros, in which case it's it's quite easy because you're a full time pro, and 
your only part-time job is, is building up your presence on social media or B those athletes that are in that kind of that, that teeter totter, like one foot in being a pro triathlete, one foot in being a employee or having their own business, but having to work. Who are you thinking of there? Oh, um, I, like we, we interviewed Renee Kylie who comes to mind who she was a really successful business person and had to, had to leave to pursue her dreams. Um, recently Lisa Roberts, she said that she gave up her landscape architecture practice. I think when it comes right down to it, it's really hard to balance performing at a high level and work and recovery because the closer you get to being the best 1% of 1% of 1% in the world, the more you have to train, but the more you have to train, the more you have to recover. So it's not like it's just like fitting in more training hours. You also have to fit in more recovery hours and stressful work is basically the opposite of recovery. Seeing it's a like desk for eight hours is not conducive to recovering. No, it, it's basically like more training or it, it will often undo a lot of the work. If you're focusing on a lot of strength work and then you go and sit at a desk, you're all of a sudden tightening up your hip joints. You are weakening your, your posterior chain, your, your lower back. It all starts going to sleep. Your, your lats start going to sleep. Um, so it starts making it hard to get a good catch in the water. All of these things that we have to do being employees typically is like the, the antithetical thing that you would want to do if you're carving out the perfect triathlon training schedule. So the athletes that, that break through and become full-time triathletes, there hasn't been any one thing that I've, I've noticed that is consistently, all right, this is how they were able to do it. It was more like they were just able to cobble together a win here and and maybe a second place there and, and maybe a sponsor cut them a break and they got a little bit of money together and then they had a little bit of help from family and then they they almost always took a leap from part-time pro part-time employee to the point where they were full-time pro and it was financially very difficult there are very judy was boring hello then judy discovered jumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Very few that had the luxury of having bundles of money to sustain a lifestyle or were already winning enough that they could sustain a lifestyle the second they became a full-time pro. It's this really difficult balancing act that I see a lot of pros going through. And that's one of the hardest things about 
getting to become a full-time pro from what I've seen. Right. And I, I, I've had interviews with, I think if I added up all the pros I interviewed, it'd be around 40. So I've talked with plenty of pros with that. I've noticed with some of the rookie pros, first year and second year pros, it's very hard. And then you have outliers like Amy VT and Chris Bag, where they're married. And that's also a coach athlete relationship with their marriage. And she just won the Ultraman Israel. I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for that because I don't know if you saw that, but it's a big whole debacle with Ultraman. That's not an Ultraman over there, but she did a <laughs> phenomenal race over in Israel and won the whole dang thing as a female. <clears throat> but the same thing goes with that is it comes down to open, clear communication, standards of the communication, when to talk about certain things. Like she said with her husband and coach, I know that you're going to be able to see my data as soon as I walk in the door. But I don't want to talk about it. Just <laughs> give me a few hours, maybe even the next day before you say, hey, this went good, this went bad. I don't care about hearing about that as soon as I get in. Like just give me some time to decompress and recover. And it's been interesting to see that. But also with the age groupers that go pro, I've had one that took – no, two that took their pro card this year, Dylan Gillsby and – I think I said that name right. And then also Troy that did Ironman Boulder, and they took their pro card this year. To, so following them next year is going to be kind of interesting because they're going from the upper echelon of the age groupers to now they're pro. Now then what are they doing? So, but the that, that, That's a really difficult transition to make. I was actually part of a really good friend of mine who made that transition last year. In 2017, she was one of my training partners, and she was winning everything as an amateur. She won the Ironman North American Championships in 2017. She set like an all-time amateur course record at um, uh, a local half Ironman that I think was also like a a many-year personal or a many-year amateur record at the half Ironman distance. And then turned pro and I went down and raced with her in Campeche in her first race. And it was like she had been shot in the face with a holy crap gun. Interesting. Um, the, her eyes were like saucers after that race. She didn't finish last. Very close though. And I watched the women start and she was off the back of that group in about 50 meters. And because she had always been going and racing against athletes that were kind of timid in the swim, and all of a sudden she steps up with former professional swimmers, NCAA All-Americans, and boom, they go out and it is aggressive for not 100 meters or 200 meters, but the entire race. And all of a sudden she's biking on the bike by herself, and she doesn't have age group men that are coming past her and she's getting that little bit of a draft pulling her. She's biking entirely by herself. And then her 127 half marathons all of a sudden were quite average. So like that, that difference between winning everything as an amateur and stepping up to pro is enormous. You look at Jocelyn McCauley who won the Kona Amateur She's now a pro and she's like one of the top 30 pros in the world. But you go from winning Kona as an amateur to being a middle of the pack pro like that. That's how competitive the pro field is compared to the amateurs. Well, and that's like uh, we've both talked with 
phenomenal athlete, Rebecca Beaker McKee. She -hmm. is an amazing athlete, talented, and very humble. And if she went pro, she would be just average. But yet, Mm -hmm. if she stays where she is, she's at the top. And there's really no, there's no juice worth the squeeze there. And I think that's where a lot of people don't see it. And if you do take your pro card, yeah, you get quote unquote unlimited races for the year for one price, but you also have to get there. You also have to travel. You also have to get your bike there. It's still a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also the whole, just like you led on to is the, I guess you would call it just the black zone of the day. <clears throat> because if you're not in the lead pack in the pros, you race the entire race alone. Yeah. And there's that distance there of if you're dropped by the pros, you're all by yourself for the whole day. Yeah. Like if yeah, you're down. That's in, a long, lonely day. Yeah. If you're down in Galveston and you come out five, ten minutes behind the lead female or even lead males, your whole day is by yourself. You're just far enough back. You're ahead of all the age groupers, but far enough back where you can't see anybody in front of you all day. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a totally different race. We had had one athlete that she she stepped up this year and I mentioned her Renee Kylie. She said that this year compared to last year when she was an amateur, she's in such better shape, but her times really aren't that different. And she says just the different dynamics, the lack of a draft, the the lack of those athletes around you urging you on, a comparable time as a pro versus an amateur is probably 15 to 20 minutes faster over an Ironman. So if you are, or maybe I've got that the other way, I'm trying to, got my Canadian math tripping me up here, but let's say you do a 850 as, as a pro, that is probably, you have to be doing like an 830 as an amateur to do an 850 as a pro, because you've got all that supplemental dynamics of the race as an amateur that you don't get as a pro. Right. There's more strategy to it. When mm-hmm. do you attack? When do you surge? All that fun stuff. Yeah. Like one of the first things that I realized is that <clears throat> with my podcast that the smaller changes from just turning on your bike computer and going forward versus already having your bike on auto pause and going saves five, six seconds, which could cost you a position. Yeah. And that position would make or break the entire bike ride. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 like the little things that you don't think of is just craziness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a fine line racing at the, those pro levels. And as we saw with Jan Ferdino, it's also a fine line between excellent performance and out of the sport. Like, yeah. They, they are they're in almost an entirely different sport than what us amateurs are in. See, and I also think there's the pros as a whole – and then there's the top 5% of pros that everybody really knows. And then there's the top 1% that everybody kind of knows for sure. And those are on a totally different level than the other 99%. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there's three separate categories of the pros. Do you feel that way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That I, I relate it to, I like to work this in as many times as I can to let people know that I, I was a good athlete in something. So I was a professional curler. And we were ranked fi- as high as 15th in the world. You, you laugh, but the, the guys that were the gold medalists, I was undefeated against them. The, the U.S. team, John Schuster, never lost to anyone on that team. 
Um, so we were ranked 15th in the world at the highest level. But the difference between us and even just the ninth ranked team, we would probably lose about seven out of 10 games against them. Change that to maybe the fourth through first ranked team, we would lose nine out of 10 games. Even though it's just 15 spots, the difference is exponentially more difficult the higher up you get in a sport. And going from 15th to 9th was a huge leap, or 9th to 3rd in the world was a huge leap, and I see that exact same thing with triathlon. It's like you say, like they, they're in such different categories. So knowing that there's some young pros that even you've interviewed, who do you see being on the podiums in the next 10 years that nobody's going to really know about? Uh, I, I can't really have anyone that comes to mind because even saying somebody next year, I, I'm not a big future kind of guy, like a big, I have a 10 year plan or a five year plan. I, I more look at like what's pretty cool and fun to do today. Um, so I don't often think about that. And it's also really hard to know how people are going to evolve and adjust. Like, like we say, the difference going from a 15th ranked athlete in the world to a third is a massive step. And to know who is going to be able to do that is going to be uh, really, really hard because it's an entirely like at that point you start getting into, can they physiologically continue to evolve? And I think about say Tyler Mislachuk, who's an ITU athlete and he came from just his house was uh I think it's about 15 kilometers, like nine miles away from us here. And I remember when he stepped up to the ITU distance, a lot of us were saying like, ah, he's not going to make it. He's just not fast enough. But physiologically, he just kept getting faster. And you can't predict that because even the sports scientist that he worked with, who is a good friend of ours that we all worked with, he was like, eh, he's maybe got a shot. And here he is placing fourth in Yokohama. So you that's tough to predict. Um, it, I think it's easier to predict who can go from like maybe that fifth spot to potentially contending for the title in Kona, like in Annie Haug, um, Sarah True. I think that's a lot easier because they're already that top 1%. And to see if they can eke out that last little bit, that's a little bit easier. But um, going from like 20th or 30th in the world to top five, pretty tough. Wow. <clears throat> so with Kona just airing this past weekend what did you think of the Kona video that they put together oh I thought ours was way better <laughs> so the last the last two years we've uh I say that jokingly um the last two years we've gone to Kona and we made a point of getting out good quality I, I think this year was about 13 minute coverage of the entire race that we shot and produced ourselves the very next day so that people didn't have to wait six weeks for NBC. And um, if I'm being perfectly honest, this might ruffle a lot of feathers. This year was, of all years, probably the least exciting. From a videographer's standpoint, they had different cameras, different camera settings, different color balances. Um, the music didn't flow together. The, like it, It's still Kona, and it's still an amazing race. But... Um, production changed and I'd heard through the grapevine while I was at Kona this year that they cut the budget in half for the TV production. Really? And 
maybe maybe I'm reading into that. And as I'm watching this, I'm looking for things that look less um, less high end. But um, it was it was interesting to see they did a lot of different things this year. I mean, what, what, what did you think? I thought it was decent. I mean, now don't get me wrong. I watched it on my phone at my in laws' house while they were okay. all putting together gingerbread houses. Hopefully they're not too mad at me for that. But so I didn't really get to dive into it much and I wasn't watching it on full blast. I was just watching it, you know, just to see what I missed, you know, because I was in Louisville for the race there with Kona that, that day. <clears throat> so I thought it was decent, but I'm learning that maybe I'm not really a big fan of Kona. Like, really? Explain. Explain. Oh, man, I'm going to piss some people off. Just so you know, like I'm gonna piss. Oh, some, I, can, I might even piss. I you can off. get into this. I won't. No, I won't. I won't throw pros under the bus. But over the last couple of months, I've had this similar conversation with several pros. Yeah, I mean, first off, I mean, if you're gonna make it the world championship, I think it should be longer. I think the swim should be five to eight k, just to start off. Really? With. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go off for a hundred and fifty mile bike ride, and then you run an even thirty miles. So it's the world championship for a reason. Let's make it harder. And then everybody's like, well, let's just keep it at Kona. I'm like, why? One, is it really conducive? Look at, yes, I understand that this is a rich white person's sport. Look at how many African-Americans and minorities are in the sport. Minimal. And I mm-hmm. think that is bullshit. I wish there were more minorities in this sport. And keeping the world championship where it costs ten to fifteen thousand dollars just to get there with everything for a two week stay. I mean, come on, that is not conducive. I mean, after that, I think if you put it in the middle of I don't know Death Valley, hmm, I think that'd be a pretty good idea. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> world, so you just world want championship, to world <laughs> championship. You want the best of the best. Okay, now let's just take it to another extreme. Okay, let's keep it out of the U.S. and let's go down to Chile in say, the middle of June. Now then, instead of battling with the heat and humidity, now you have cold weather and you still have the same distance. But you have rougher roads, not as populated, and you also have to deal with different situations. It's not the same course. It's not the infamous Queen K Highway. It's actually something different. It's a different condition. Now then, what athletes are going to do better in new different conditions that are cold just because you can deal with the heat and humidity and the wind doesn't mean you can deal with the cold chills of battling 20 30 degree wind chills on the bike for 112 miles you are sick terry that is yeah i mean (laughs) you just want people to hurt (laughs) okay okay i'm sick but who wants to be out in 100 degree weather like in boulder this year Oh, geez. Oh, okay, awful. but I'm sick. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> I mean. So here's here's an idea. What if, let's just liken it to like, say, golf or tennis. There are the majors and Augusta or Wimbledon are always at the same place, but the others do move around. Right. So now Augusta isn't necessarily the world championship, but – it's always just in one place. So maybe Kona isn't necessarily the world championship, but it's just always Kona. Yeah. Dude. And, there, and there's like a, se- a series of those ones that are like, like Frankfurt challenge Roth. Um, maybe it's even different distances. 
Xterra. Yeah. And the and these are not different sports or different companies, but it's like a Grand Slam series. Could be. Yeah. I don't hate see, the I'll, idea. I, I mean, I think the World Championship 70.3 moving around so much and in, in introducing new things will see actually transition over to the full World Championship. Yeah, I don't know if – I don't think they'll ever move from Kona because – at least not under current management. Current management of Ironman is very much a I, – I actually see it as a, like a real old boys club. Oh, for sure. And, and it's it's more of a money bag, money grab than anything else because I'm pretty sure they make over a million dollars just on gear alone during Kona. I oh, mean, geez, and I think that would yeah. be just a fair assessment. Maybe even closer to two or three, but I think a million alone just in gear is pretty fair. But knowing that it's for the money, I think is they're not going to do anything about it, and they're going to keep it there. But whenever athletes say, you know, it's time for something longer, because I think at some point they're going to have so many Ironman competitors out there saying, you know, I've done twenty, thirty, forty Ironman. I don't really care about going to Kona, but I want something new. They're really mm-hmm. going to do one of two things. They're going to go outside the sport and find something new or leave sports altogether. Yeah. What we're seeing from a triathlon business international, they actually gave this Ironman gave the stats on this, that they are losing about 40% of the worldwide athletes out of the sport entirely every single year. Now the vast majority of those are one and done first time athletes yep. or or second year athletes that come in and they say the stats are that the athletes have a bad experience and this is why I'm I'm such a big proponent of um, you talk about pissing people off one of the things that that I catch the most flack about is I say that people should not do an ironman in their first few years because it's hard to have the mindset of of going into one of your first biggest events, a bucket list event that you have built up to be this life-changing event and having a crap day and that being okay. I think people want to go into the Ironman, have a bucket list item, cross it off the bucket list, absolutely kill it. And when they don't do it, they're crushed and they leave the sport. But an Ironman, if you talk to any coach, any you're studying exercise science. It takes a long time to be able to handle that kind of distance and that kind of training and, and perform well time after time and to rush it and say like six months to Ironman or six months to your, your best Ironman. Like it's not realistic. One of the things that I feel like a lot of athletes don't do, especially first timers is they don't approach it with enough gratitude. Mm-hmm. Like if they approached, if they said, okay, this is going to be my first Ironman. It's not going to be my last, but I just want to go out here and have fun and enjoy it and soak in the day and go, anything that happens, hey, it happens and I'm just going to enjoy it. Like, right. And take everything with a grain of salt and just enjoy their day. But instead, we have all these type A people. Type <laughs> A people do what you type A people do. You don't say. Right. And yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why the mass start is slowly dwindling away. And I mean, you have the rolling start everywhere, but, and everybody's like, well, hey, I love the rolling start. I'm like, okay, well, if you love it so much, let's implement it at Kona. Well, mm-hmm. that's a totally different ball game. You don't want to do that. That's, that's got to be the mass start. But why? Kona is, is such a, 
When I go there, it actually scares me for the future of our sport, which might sound odd because it's growing over and over. But I think back to when, again, I'm going to throw in curling here. Uh, and there was a time about 25 years ago that our national association decided they weren't going to focus on changing the sport at all. We were Canada. We were the best in the world. Nothing needs to change. Adults are coming into it in droves. So we're going to focus all of our development on the 40 plus year old adult curlers and the clubs. Well, what happened was people my age, when I was 9, 10, 15, I stuck with it and kept playing, but everyone that I started curling with, they left because there were no, there was no programming, there was no development. So instead of when I was, say, 20 years old, there being about 64 teams that would just try to get to our, what, what you would call state championships, just try to get there, there were eight because wow. everyone just everyone just left. And now all of a sudden we have the U.S. that's beating us in the Olympics. We have the Swedes that they were always good in the 80s and 90s, but they're coming in and beating us regularly. The Asian teams are coming in and beating us regularly. And our national association said flat out, they're like, we screwed up by not focusing on the youth more. And what I see when I go to Kona is I love, but Mike Riley's been doing it for 30 years. I love Bob Babbitt. But Bob Babbitt's been doing it for 30 years. They've been having the same closing ceremony for how many decades? Everything is the same over and over and over. And it's appealing to those people that are 40 plus that love the tradition. But I think the 20 something year olds are going and doing Spartan races and they're doing fun runs and mud runs and, and tough mutters and things like that, that look a lot cooler, look a lot more modern and, I fear that part of the reason why triathlon as a whole is shrinking because it is, is that it isn't, it hasn't kept up with the cool vibe that is out there with so many of these other races. I agree. Now, along those same lines, <clears throat> how do you think that triathlon in general could be more appealing to the minorities and get more minorities involved in the sport? Uh, you know what? I'm probably a really, I'm a bad person to ask that. I, I, I don't, I don't know very well. Uh, I'll be honest that where we live in Winnipeg in Canada, it is a very white triathlon community and we get many sports. So I haven't really seen any programs to help with it. I think um, in the end, you the only thing that I can think of is at some point you do need to have somebody that is a role model for minorities. You look at the impact that Tiger Woods had on golf and to have that in any sport makes a big difference in any minority community. But how do you actually craft that? I don't know. And it's going to be hard. And I think one of the biggest things that most minorities face is just the entry to get there alone, to get into the sport, you're looking to drop $8,000 on average. <clears throat> By the time you get a bike, clips, cleats, helmet, tri kit, coach, swim gear, bike gear, run gear, you're looking at $8,000 not counting entry fees or hotels or travel or getting your bike there or nutrition. Nutrition is a consumable that never ends. You always need more. 
So knowing that, it's like there needs to be sponsors that just say, all right, look, we're going to give you a Vinton bike. We're going to give you all the nutrition you need. We're going to give you a helmet. We're going to give you all this stuff. And we're going to sponsor a coach for you here. And here's the 40 years of dreams. Here's what we have. But we don't want to do that. I think my time to try is trying to do it and trying to give away bikes and develop some sort of a bike rental program and have easier access resources for people that need to learn how to train and don't have the money to hire a coach. I think they're trying to do it, but in the end, it's still got to be cool to whether you're a minority or a white middle class 17 year old kid you've got to look at somebody and you've got to have like the Barry Bonds on the wall you've got to have the Michael Jordan on the wall if it's hockey you've got to have Wayne Gretzky on the wall like there's got to be the drive to be something when you grow up and see I can that relates to the intrinsic motivation that you have to have doing this because at the end of the day training 20 plus hours a week for an Ironman if you don't want to do that it's going to break you Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to get there and just muscle through 20 plus hours of training, a full-time job and a wife or husband and kids. You're not going to do it. And as a non-parent so far, you can see how hard it is just on the relationship. You add kids to the mix. It's completely different. It's even harder. And if you're single and listen to this, good luck because you have all of it that you need. So you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man so what about kona on two different days like the 70.3 worlds uh, i don't hate it actually i think that it would provide better coverage to the women which i didn't see how the live feed was because we were there but it was really hard to know besides where daniela was while we we're on the island Where any of the women were, there was like no coverage of the women. I think that it would be more beneficial to the women's race to have it split. I think it would be more beneficial to the race if they want to expand because they are maxed out on the pier. Like literally you are shoulder to shoulder with people on the pier and potentially like I saw somebody get pushed into the water because there was just no more room on the pier. That's how tight it is. So if they want to expand that race and make it more accessible, I think that's their only choice to do it. And I liked it in Half Iron Man Worlds. Like it felt just as special for me to go and watch the women on Saturday and then go and do my race on Sunday. It's still Worlds. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it would double the number of people at the race. But then you have the argument of, okay, well, if you double it, where are they going to stay? Well, if you double it and there's nowhere to stay, maybe you should move venues. Yeah, they're they're gonna have to. And honestly, they're gonna have to just move move more out of town because that's the thing is like everyone wants to stay in Kona, and not too many people want to stay even just ten minutes away. But if you look just ten minutes away, it's still quite quite yeah, it's still quite nice. We're looking at going there potentially for a month next next year, and we're deciding like do we stay in town or do we actually go up the mountain a little bit where weather is a little bit nicer we can bring our dogs they've got room to go and hang outside um we went and saw cam wharf there and he was in literally a mansion and he was like yeah basically i paid the same as what i would in town yeah and that's the thing a lot of people 
want to stay with all the excitement, but if you're really there to race, the excitement that you feel is too much. And just like you mentioned in one of your episodes, the stress, the cortisol, all that stress is stress on the body. Mm-hmm. So you don't want all that to get into your body before the race. You want to save that to race day. Oh, yeah. If you're racing, Kona, stay out of the town. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're racing Kona and you want to do well, stay out of the town. Stay off your feet. Stay in the shade. It sucks the life out of you just to be outside and to be in the town where there's all these people and blacktop and and you're exposed in the sun. It's hard on you and it's busy. But if you want to experience Kona and, and go into it, the same way I would recommend somebody going and doing their first Ironman as let's just experience it and have fun. You can go into town and do it, but at the same token, don't expect to be able to do that and perform super well. It's kind of one or the other. Yeah, and you need to know which just, one's better. Yeah. A-type personalities, however, had a tough, have a tough time with that. All right. And just a little bit more talk about Kona. The pier at Kona is, quote, unquote, maxed out. Well, I'm sure Iron Man could put in their budget somewhere off of the profits they make to expand the damn pier. I mean, Theoret- it, it could theoretically. be built upon and made longer. Theoretically, who knows what regulations they're under, though? I, I don't know. Like, I know that there are some bodies of water that you're not allowed to change the shoreline. If if a tree falls in it, you can't be back there. Like, a year later, that tree better still be there. We, we have that in one body of water at our old lake property that our family used to have. If a tree fell down in the middle of your property into the lake... And the conservation officers came by and they had a picture of that. They would take pictures of the entire shoreline. And if two years later that tree wasn't there, they'd know you moved it because somebody must have moved it and you'd get fined. So who knows if, if that's the case. But and, and who knows how much it costs. I'm not an engineer construction guy. So I, I know that that World Triathlon Corporation itself was worth something like $700 million. And I don't know what a pier costs. I don't know if it's... Four, five, ten, fifteen. Who knows? Okay, well, let's just take for one one weekend. All right, so you have twenty five hundred athletes racing Kona. If you doubled that and made it a two day event, making it a five thousand competitor weekend, so twenty five hundred times say a thousand. Mm-hmm. That's another quarter yeah. million. So if it costs a million dollars to build the pier, that means in four years you've made your money it's back. Paid back. And if you keep doing the race there over another four years, you've made a million dollars to give back to the community. Mm. Oh, I mean, there you go. See, that's where my Canadian—that's where my Canadian math is letting me down. Jeez. Well, so what about the races that are popping up, like the Iron Cowboys race, the Utah's toughest and Vermont's toughest, and all that fun stuff? What do you think about that? I think it's good. I think that they're. I don't know whether it's a longer race or a shorter race. I actually think that there needs to be a cool series of shorter races. And next year, I've actually decided that I'm going to go and race two Super League triathlons. And whether it's that or something else, I think that there needs to be a short distance race that you can race, still walk on Monday morning, not feel like a bag of dirt, for weeks and weeks on end, not have that post-race fatigue of months and depression 
And short races don't have that. You go and you have a pile of fun. You get yourself into zone four, feel like your eyeballs are bleeding and choke back some lactic acid. But a couple days later, you're fine. So I think that there needs to be a good series of short distance races. I like how Super League is doing it, making it cool, unique. The relay looks really fun. The aspect that there's a time trial in it. But challenging enough in the sense that you're going to do three super sprints back to back to back to back. I think that's super fun. And Uh, super spectator friendly. Yes. Yeah. Super spectator friendly, like a 1K track that you're doing loops on and and like the shortcut that they can take. Uh, I think it's really fun. Whatever it is, I think that there needs to be another series of races that is an alternative to Ironman. So it's not just Ironman and a bunch of suffering grass, grassroots races. Wow. You know, I'm worrying that we both have a lot of rants that we agree on. <laughs> so what else would you like to talk about, man? I don't know. What are you most excited about in triathlon right now? Uh, in triathlon right now, <clears throat> I'm excited to actually see a lot of people that are up and coming, like the younger pros that I know – Sam Long is 22. Uh, Danielle Demon, she's going to hit 30 next year. Uh, there's a few other interesting to see it all. But the longer I'm in the sport as a podcaster, I guess, is the only way I can describe it is, I'm learning that the older generation is fading out. And they're saying, I don't care about going to Kona anymore. I've already been to Kona. I've experienced it. I'm done with it. Or I never even saw... Uh, glamour in it. It wasn't, it didn't have the, oh, I have to go to Kona. Well, that's all fading out. And now then you're having the 20 and 30 year olds that don't care about the traditions, don't care about this. Is it modern? Does it have flashy lights? And is it cool? To your point, mm-hmm. is it cool? Does it have that cool factor? And what I'm seeing is it really doesn't. And it kind of worries me of, what is it going to be like in another 10 years? What is the 50-year anniversary of Ironman going to look like in Kona? Because if it really is dwindling 40% per year, what is the start line at Kona going to look like in 10 years? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't seem like it's going to be very big. Because you'll have a lot of people die off, and then you'll also have a lot of people say, I just don't want to do this anymore. It's too taxing on my body. Well, it's time for me to actually retire from the sport because I don't want to put in 20, 30-hour training weeks anymore. I'm over it. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So you've had quite a few people on your podcast. Who do you want that you haven't had on so far? Uh, Lionel. Really? Lionel Sanders. He is a fellow Canadian. We have traded many emails back and forth. Apparently, he is a fan of my YouTube channel. His Mom and dad are a fan of my YouTube channel. I met him in Kona, and we still haven't got him on the show yet. Gosh, hard guy to get a hold of. He is. He is. He's laying, laying low right now. Uh, I've also never had some of the, a few of the really, really big names, the Jan Ferdinos, the Patrick Langas. I think the Patrick Langa might change soon enough. Um, Daniela Reef. Never even had a sniff of getting them on. Wow. What about Heather Jackson? 
So uh, Heather Jackson, I've tried a couple of times, never had any any success. But you know what? There, there's so many podcasts out there right now. And I, I think it was probably even worse about a year ago that talking with a few of the pros off the record, they said, oh, like a year ago, like every day we'd get asked to be on a podcast and we didn't know which one was was going to be around next week and which one wasn't. And then I guess there was a whole big rash of um, Matt Hansen. He said that uh, that he was on two podcasts that they forgot to hit record. What? <laughs> like, so I think there was just so many podcasters coming in. Pros were inundated re- with requests. A lot of the requests and the topics were the same, so it felt repetitive. And then maybe there were some bad experiences here and there, or nothing would come from it. And uh, and I think there there needs to be a cull of a lot of podcasters out there for pros to be more willing to spend their time. And I think rightfully so, because it it's got to be stressful for a lot of them to take an hour of their day and and spend that amount of time talking about often the same things and, or, you know, or things that might be stressful for them or they might not be outgoing and that's stressful for them. See, and I've had people where they're very introverted on my show. I've had people that are very extroverted and some people that want to ramble and ramble. Like it doesn't like, you never know what you're going to get when you interview somebody really. And mm-hmm. to me, that's pretty fun. But my show is a little bit different where I interview people for the most part, within 15 days of their race, and I walk them through a race, pretty much like a race review. Hey, how was your training? What did you do? How did you get, how did you mentally get through your training? And then we talk about the race in depth. Like, I listened to your 70.3 of Worlds, and it was good ish. But if you'd have been on my show, I would have had you in a headache because I would have been asking you so many more details of, what was it like actually seeing the bike course the, for the first time on these rough roads in the mist? Like, were you panicked? Was this exciting for you? Did you make sure you nailed your nutrition plan? How was the people around you? Did you have enough time at the aid stations? Did you worry about the aid stations because of the water in a different country? What did you think of this? Like, all the smaller things a lot of people don't think about, I ask. And it's fun. Because mm. even though... Two people from the same race might have raced the same race. It's a different experience. And, I mean, there's been, I think, seven or eight times where I've gotten emotional just from their story. I mean, those are the best. Like, oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Like, Rachel McBride for Frankfurt. Man, I, I couldn't make it through that one. That was awesome. <laughs> like, that one comes to mind so quick because that's one of my favorite episodes. And that was just so powerful of a episode. <clears throat> yeah. She's she's such an interesting athlete, and to hear like we're we're both Tower Twenty Six athletes, and yeah. to see the progress that she has made, like she is so incredibly talented, and to get that much better at swimming within a couple of years, it, it just shows like the phenomenal talent of these elite athletes that their bodies can absorb these different techniques and these training volumes and, and everything and, and like their body awareness is is so far beyond what us amateurs are capable of. Wow. So the transition a little bit, what do you want to know about my show? I mean, I have 200 plus interviews under the belt right now going into next year. What is something that you would actually like to know? Ooh, who's going to be Daniela Reef? I got nothing. 
I don't know who that is. <laughs> you got you got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who's gonna be on the podium next year. I mean, I was full team Charles this year. Gotta be honest. I was pulling for Lucy. Oh yeah, she's so nice. Did you think that she was gonna be able to beat Daniela? I saw Daniela have something wrong in the swim and I was like, So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> exactly. So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. And then she was like seven, eight minutes behind on the bike. I'm like, so she's going this fast. So she's this many miles ahead. There's a chance. Mm-hmm. But then she passed. I'm like, there might be a chance. Because <laughs> Danielle threw down a great time on the bike course this year. And she, I think she got the course record, right? But yeah. I was like, that can't be favorable if she's going to have a solid run. So maybe Lucy held back a little bit so that way she'd overpower her on the run. I mean, there was this whole dynamic in my mind of, okay, how is this going to pan out? Yeah. I thought given what Daniela did last year in the last 40K of the bike when she had to break Sarah Crowley and Heather Jackson and and get past Lucy and Lauren Brandon and basically time trialed the last 40K in an Ironman and got off and still ran like the second fastest run split, like it doesn't matter what she does on the bike. She's not going to be tired. She's going to come into that run. She's still going to be fresh because if there was a time that she could have blown up, it was last year, like 2017 in Kona and it didn't happen. So what is the world championship for the women right now? What's the time? Uh, It was whatever Daniela did. I think I want to say 836. So that was the eight twenty. So yeah, so that was the time this year. When do you think we'll see that get within the same percentage as the marathon for the world records? Same percentage as the marathon. I'm not sure what you mean. So the women's marathon hasn't been chipped down in years. Oh, okay. But yet we keep seeing this get closer and closer to the men of that seven fifty six time. Okay. 756. So when are we going to see that get in about the same window there? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. This year skews everything because the weather was so favorable in Kona. It was like once in a generation kind of weather that the times actually, even though they're, they're quite a bit faster, the races aren't necessarily indicative of a much better performance. If you start taking out a lot of the, the weather factors and level, normalizing out some of, say, Patrick Lange's race, he was, it, it, with some calculations that I did, he was basically within like 30 seconds of the same performance as he did in 2017. Daniela was, was quite a bit faster. But to look at these times and say, well, everyone's just getting faster uh, is ignoring how, how favorable the wins were. Like to not have crosswinds in the ride back from Javi is bizarre. And you would have had Cam Worf get off the bike 12 minutes ahead of Patrick instead of, uh, I think it was five or six. Um, you, you wouldn't have had these sub eight hour performances. You wouldn't have had record breaking times in the amateur men's, the pro women, the pro men's. I think there were seven other amateur all-time records laid down in age groups like that that's all largely because of the weather so it's hard to say like what kind of trend it's on so what do you think about the whole new qualifying standard for pros to get to Kona 
to be determined. I, I don't know. There was a whole, whole big uproar about it. Same sort of thing this time last year. And it really ended up being the same athletes in the end. I, I think that one of the unfortunate things about Iron Man, and this is Iron Man just protecting Iron Man, is they force athletes to race a lot, burn themselves out, which then proliferates the same people that are dominant just being dominant again in Kona because they go and they win a race in January or February and then they can coast a little bit until October comes around. Whereas if you're not a dominant winning athlete, you got to go and take crack after crack after crack and lay it on the line and actually have a, a winning race performance, which takes a lot out of you. And then by the time you get to Kona, you might be spent. So I think it puts an even bigger divide in between those top five to 10 athletes and the bottom uh, 24 for the women and, and 40 for the men. Um, and knowing that there's it, roughly 800 pro men and what is it, five, 600 pro women? I mean, all of them are fighting for the same chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, however, I, I, I mean, we just talked about it here that the drop off is so huge that, like, what are the final 20 ranked athletes doing? Are, are they really there to win or are they there to experience it? So is the 400th ranked pro men, man going to be upset because he can't make it to Kona because of the qualifying times? I, I don't know. Like if it really is determining the best of the best, have the best of the best there and don't stress about the other several hundred. Well, it seems like you think there should be another qualifying standard to be a pro. Another qualifying standard to being a pro? What do you mean? Well, it seems like that you feel like there should be different standards to even be a pro, being that there's so many. No, no, not necessarily. If you want to, if you want to race the pro ranks, go for it. But it's more like, uh, I, I'm not stressed about making sure that everyone has a shot at getting to Kona. It's more, it's more like that from the pro standpoint. Because when it comes right down to it, if it is the world championship and we are trying to figure out who the best in the world is, you can probably take the top 15 athletes and put them there and it's not going to change the outcome of the race between whether it's just 15 or it's 50. So it almost should be more like a single elimination throughout the year versus a championship. Could be. Or say, hey, you know... We're going to take the top 10% of the finishers over the course of the entire year, make a Z-score for all the races, and then based on that, that's who's going to actually get to Kona. Yeah, it could, could be that, and that's kind of what it was with the Kona Pro Ranking points qualification. But what that ended up doing is just forcing a lot athletes to race a lot, and then you'd have a lot of athletes that would go and just mail in a bunch of races, get fourth a whole bunch of times. So know how you get good performance throughout the year while not burying a bunch of athletes throughout the year and still getting everyone to the race kind of in the same sort of shape right well taryn i know that you have to go i mean i would love to sit here and continue our conversation but <laughs> i know you have things that you need to attend to 
And it was great doing this. We should definitely do this again for the coming year. This was great. So what races are you racing next? Uh, next, I'm doing Super League Singapore in February. Then a, a couple weeks after that, I'll be doing Half Ironman Puerto Rico. Then my first full Ironman distance, which I expect to fully get my ass handed to me in Challenge Roth. And then Super League Penticton. And then hopefully at Puerto Rico, I would have qualified for Half Ironman Worlds in Nice. But that is a tough race to qualify for. A lot of people are accepting their spots. So hopefully I can toe the line at Half Ironman Nice, but we'll see. Wow. Well, you know, I'll have to have you on my podcast just to do one of my episodes and talk about one of your races. So which one do you want to do first and second? Oh, let's let's do uh let's do challenge roth that'll be an interesting one because i don't know how the race is going to turn out all right well i'm gonna have to look for some people from puerto rico as well and i've never done a super league interview so that would be kind of interesting i want to dive more into the super league because it's a little bit different and not a lot of people know about it yeah yeah let's do that That, that's part of the reason why i'm going is is they want they want more awareness to it and Frankly, I need to be more aware to, of it too. Nice. Well, so how can people follow you? I know you have a lot of pe- different venues where you, people can follow you. Yeah, whether it's YouTube is our, our primary platform and it's just Triathlon Terran there. We put out a YouTube video every single day and it's always about triathlon, whether it's a race or some pro coverage or some training tips or sometimes it's just struggles that I might be going through as a age group triathlete we've also got triathlon terran podcast and on instagram and uh instagram zwift uh, twitter facebook wherever it is it's all triathlon terran and that's spelled t-a-r-e-n nice and you also have some sponsors for your podcast what, what are they well we've got a few we've got four sigmatic with the mushroom coffee that's our our number one sponsor that has been with us the longest we have uh, Solastar with their carbon insoles. Uh, they don't sponsor the podcast, but I have to give a shout out to Scody. They they sponsor my gear, uh, Ventum for the bikes. Uh, I'm definitely going to miss out on people. Uh, SP2 Life, if you are into healthy eating and you like getting greens, research frozen spirulina from SP2 Life. It, it was something that they contacted me and I was like, ah, this is a total sham. And they sent it out, and I was completely sold on it. They support us, and uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Rapid Reboot. I'm looking around my my pain cave right now. Rapid Reboot with the recovery boots. They support uh, SOS Electrolyte Powder. We've got a couple. They're, we're and we're the lucky to be movie. able to try. New Wave Swim Boy. Yeah. Oh, there's all kinds of yeah, yeah. Lots of supportive companies out there that allow us to. I'm trying to prove my mother wrong and play for a living. <laughs> awesome. Well, Taryn, it's been great, and I look forward to following you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a fun chat. I enjoyed ranting with you, Terry. Awesome. Have a good day, okay? <laughs> you too. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you were able to learn something from today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to see pictures from this athlete's race, learn more about who I am, what I'm doing, or be on the show yourself to share your story, check out my website at CoachTerryWilson.com. Until next time, continue the pursuit.